Houston area is held up as a national model for getting homeless people into housing. So why do we see so many people still living on the streets? Today, I'm talking with reporter Rebecca Schutz, who covers housing for the Houston Chronicle. It's Monday, February 28, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. Thanks, Rebecca, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Could you give us a quick overview of the homeless situation in Houston and the things that the city is doing about homelessness? Yeah, so Houston is a really interesting city because in 2011, it was actually called out for having basically a a big problem with homelessness, for not taking enough steps. And since then, they've really made a concerted effort in the past decade, according to these yearly point-in-time counts, they'll do like a census of the homeless population. Mm-hmm. The city and county have succeeded in cutting the homeless population, meaning people who are unsheltered, sleeping on sidewalks, tents, cars. Uh, they've cut that population in half, okay. which is a huge success. A lot of other cities are looking at that as a big model. So in the CityCast Houston newsletter, I recently linked to this opinion piece from the LA Times Oh, yeah. It had the headline, yeah, what Houston can teach Los Angeles about homelessness. Yeah. And the writer described Houston as a national model for ending homelessness because it said basically that the city does not tolerate the institution of homelessness. It does not make it easy to be homeless. What what thoughts do you have about that? Well, I do think a lot of cities are looking to Houston as a leader. Houston has done a really great job of moving people into housing, which is how they've reduced the population so much. And one of the ways they've done that is by like having this overarching strategy. We're going to focus on housing. And they've left a lot of like the shelter work, Mm -hmm. which would be an option. The temporary shelters for the homeless. Yeah. Right. That would be something that if someone's like, where are we supposed to go? If you're like, oh, you're supposed to go here. They've left a lot of that to like... uh, ministries and stuff okay you know in houston there's this bit of an issue from like when you lose your housing to when you regain housing where are you supposed to go that's a little bit of a tricky question but it was a strategic decision because they're like housing is more important this is where we put our limited attention and money yeah yeah, it's on permanent housing that's sort of what's going on here yeah i've actually seen like announcements that houston has ended homelessness does that? That's not quite right. <laughs> I wonder what those uh, announcements mean exactly, <laughs> right. because it definitely has... Anybody who drives through downtown knows that's not true. Yeah, exactly. And increasingly, not not just downtown, you know, like yeah. under overpasses, even in, way out in the suburbs. But it has been successful in greatly reducing the population. And it's done that in part by like coordinating all these different groups. Uh, it has this umbrella organization called the Coalition for the Homeless. And they've made it so that when you intake one person anywhere, like that information is shared between all the organizations. So they can see how many points of contact there are. They can intake them for the housing application very easily. But you can't have better coordination if there's nothing to coordinate, right? They have to have housing available. In order to do this, Houston and Harris County and their partners have focused all their money on housing because they see housing as the only real solution to homelessness. So providing housing free of charge to people who are homeless, permanent housing that you get to stay in, not just for one night, but as long as 
possible. Yes. Well, I guess they're focusing on housing rather than shelters, temporary shelters. Mm -hmm. And there's a few different kinds of housing. So there's like, for some people, it might be um, the government covers the cost of your housing for a while and then weans it off. Yeah. They call that rapid rehousing. And then when you get back on your feet, you take back over. But then there are some people who have, um, might have like disabilities, you know, because people are on the street for various reasons. They might not be able to fully support a rent at any point. So for those people, they have what they call permanent housing, which has these social services coupled with it, like a caseworker, et cetera. They call it permanent supportive housing because it has those supportive services. And in that situation, it would be, there's no expiration period and um, you only have to pay 30% of your income. And you can imagine if the disability is severe enough, you might not ever enter the workforce. So the city is also trying to just reduce visible homelessness on the streets. Is there a fine against people who appear to be homeless on the street, who are sleeping on sidewalks? Yes, so you can be fined. And this is actually, so the city has over the years passed a number of ordinances basically banning this. There are downtown specific rules that people cannot sleep, sit, or have their stuff on the sidewalk between the hours of 7 a.m. and 11 p.m. And then in 2017, they passed like these controversial ordinances saying that like you can't quote encamp anywhere. And encamping means like if you have any sort of shelter, like um, a tarp or a tent, or if you have more than a cubic yard worth of things. So a lot of people were like, oh, this is basically outlawing homelessness. And the city does give out a lot of tickets you know, when, when you get a citation, if you've ever gotten a speeding ticket, that ticket can have multiple like violations on it. Yeah. So the violation isn't the number of tickets, but there are 9,000 violations Wow. for things like sitting or lying down on sidewalks, etc. And if you've been downtown, you know, like there are still people sleeping on the sidewalk. So it seems like this sort of situation where passing these rules doesn't really help because there's a question of, well, where should they be? Well, also, what does it mean to give a ticket to someone who's homeless? Homeless people don't have a lot of money. Exactly. And how are you going to find somebody if they haven't paid their ticket? What happens then? Yeah, and a lot of people don't even understand that they've gotten a ticket. I, I actually watched someone get a ticket. Afterwards, I talked to him and I was like, so did you get a ticket? And he's like, oh, I don't know. They made me sign something. And I was like, well, this seems, <laughs> this seems you know, like, a, like people are treading water. And um. I think there's just sort of like a lot of pressure coming from all sides without any real options, which is why there's frustration mounting. You know, neighbors or businesses would like these people to be somewhere else. And so what are the neighbors saying? Safety is a big issue that they they cite because, you know, neighbors have watched people get carried off in ambulances. They They have seen fights break out. They have seen people pass out from drugs. People living out there, you know, I've, I've seen them when they're asked to move, be like, hey, where are we supposed to go? And that's a very hard question to answer. And it's actually interesting because even a, a lot of the workers that the downtown management district hires yeah. have experience with homelessness, either personally or in their family. Oh, wow. So, you know, they're asking these people who know what a what a hard issue it is. And they're, they're trying to give options, but, you know, there aren't a lot of options. Like one man I saw get asked this was like well you can go into the beacon which is open 7 a.m to about noon 
And he's like, well, you could go to another park. Right. You know, and there's not a real lot of satisfying answers. So the beacon was at the heart of a story you wrote recently, where it's sort of a flashpoint where all of these forces are coming to a head. Could you describe what it is? Yeah. So the beacon is um, what they call a day shelter operated by a church on the church's property downtown and the organization sort of grew out of the church. So now it's a separate nonprofit. They provide a bunch of services. They have like a medical clinic on site. They provide breakfast and lunch. They have showers. Mm -hmm. They have a place where you can get your meal because that's a huge issue. You know, you're trying to get your identification sorted out. You know, you're trying to get your life set back up and you need a place for correspondence to go. They have legal services that deal with things like citations when homeless people get citations and then they can't get their driver's <laughs> license. They deal with that kind of thing. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think over the course of last year, they their workers helped move pe- over 500 people into housing. Wow. So they are doing a big part of the work of getting people off the street. But at the same time, since they've opened, neighbors have said that people start sleeping outside so that they can be there right when the service is open in the morning. And um, according to neighbors, you know, at first it was only overnight, but now people are staying around the clock. Wow. How has COVID affected homelessness here? One of the interesting things about this is that COVID, COVID has unlocked all this federal spending. And a lot of federal spending has been targeted towards housing. So Houston and Harris County and their partners have this influx of money that they want to use to cut homelessness in half again. Wow. And I picture it almost as this leaky bucket, the the quintessential leaky bucket, because um, you're trying to move people into housing faster than they're becoming unhoused. And this this money has meant that they have been able to pick up the rate at which they are housing people, but people are still becoming unhoused for all sorts of reasons. But a big category I saw were people because of COVID, like especially people who worked in other people's homes, you know, maybe as a, mm-hmm. a as oh. you know, cleaning homes. Housekeeper, you know. yeah. right. And then they lost that at the beginning of the pandemic when they've been homeless since. Wow. So what would you say overall is the picture. I mean, clearly not everything that Houston is doing works. Citations don't work. But how would you say we're doing overall? Are we really a good model for other cities? Yeah, I think Houston's strategy of like coordination, coming up with a strategy and just being like, we do need to address housing before we can focus on these other issues. Like it's hard to get a job. It's hard to get sober when you're sleeping outside every day. So I I feel like it's a great model in those regards. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. Yeah. We will have the links to the stories that Rebecca and I talked about in our show notes. Now, here is producer Farrell Gibbs with a little something extra. Hey, Lisa. There was a tweet on Saturday by Governor Abbott. And it revealed that he had asked members of the Texas Restaurant Association, the Texas Package Stores Association, and all Texas retail stores to voluntarily stop selling Russian vodka in support of Ukraine. You may have heard some reports over the weekend of bar owners pouring out bottles of Stoli in protest of Russia and several other governors that joined in with Abbott asking their states to stop selling Russian imports. 
But according to a CNN business article that came out on Sunday, only 1% of vodka consumed in the U.S. is actually made in Russia. Turns out not even Stoli is made there, and some have confused Smirnoff as being Russian, but it's actually made in Illinois. The brand called Russian Standard is the most recognizable one of just a few alcohol brands that are imported from Russia and sold here in the U.S. That is it for our show today. One last thing before we go. CityCast is growing fast. We are hiring all sorts of people, mostly podcast makers and newsletter writers in the cities that we're expanding to. And here in Houston, we're hiring one more person, a halftime writer, to help me make our newsletter. I'm looking for someone whose sentences sing, who has a lively interest in the city. It is a job with benefits, as in actual benefits, like good health insurance. So please, if you would be good at that, check out the link in our show notes. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Bye. I feel like I'm being sampled for a rap track. It's really cool. <laughs> okay. <laughs>